0: So John 13, if you have your Bibles, and also Romans chapter 5, we're going to look at these two texts tonight. John, four, or John 13 is, is not your typical Christmas Eve text. And nevertheless, there, there is some important parallels between what happens in John 13 and, and what happens on that first Christmas Eve. John 13, of course, takes place on the last night of Jesus' life. Christmas Eve is is the the time that we come together and remember and and celebrate the first night of Jesus' life. Nevertheless, Jesus does something on the last night of his life as he's heading towards the cross that that is very indicative. It, It almost parallels for us that first night that he spent here on earth. And so as we've had those, those Christmas stories read to us from Josiah and Caroline and Heidi, didn't they do a phenomenal job? Can we give them another big hand? It's just so great, so great having a church that has kids in it and the teenagers are involved and middle-aged people like me even get a chance to uh, say a few things. But John chapter 13, I want to read the passage and then we'll come back. We'll, we'll, we'll meditate on, on some things uh, before we sing some more songs and light our candles. John 13 verse 1, it says, Now before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour had come to depart out of this world to the Father, having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them To the end. And during supper, when the devil had put it in the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, to betray Jesus, Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands and that he had come from God and was going back to God, rose from supper. He laid aside his outer garments. And taking a towel, he tied it around his waist. Then he poured water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with the towel that was wrapped around him. He came to Simon Peter and said, and Simon said to him, Lord, do you wash my feet? Jesus answered him and said, What I am doing you do not understand now, But later you will understand. Peter said to him, you shall never wash my feet. Jesus answered him, if I do not wash you, you have no share with me. Simon Peter said to him, Lord, then not only my feet, but also my hands and my head. Jesus said to him, the one who has bathed does not need to wash except for his feet. But is completely clean, and you are clean, but not every one of you. For he knew who was to betray him. That is why he said, not all of you are clean. When he had washed their feet and put on his outer garments and resumed his place at the table, he said to them, do you understand what I have done to you? You call me teacher and Lord, and you are right, for so I, for so I am. If then I, your teacher and Lord, have washed your feet, you ought to wash one another's feet. For I have given you an example that you should do just as I have done. Truly, truly, I say to you, a servant is not greater than his master. If you know these things, blessed are you if you do them. Jesus concludes his statement by by saying this, I'm telling you these things now before it takes place that when it does take place, you may believe that I am he. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever receives the one I send receives me and whoever receives me receives the one who sent me. Father, we thank you for your word. It is so precious to us. Lord, as we spend time Going through these truths, I pray that you would open our hearts, give us ears to hear. Lord, that your word would bear good fruit in our lives. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Tonight I want to talk to you about the miracle of Christmas. The miracle of Christmas. Now, when we start talking about Christmas, we start talking about miracles. There is a lot that we could look to in the Christmas story that is miraculous. It's not just one miracle in the Christmas story. In fact, the Christmas story is full of miracles. We could look to the foretelling of the prophets who hundreds of years before the Messiah came had, had prophesied in great detail about what family he would come from, what kind of life he would live, what he would come to accomplish. They even prophesied the very time and the very place that he would be born. That is a miracle. We could look at the angelic visitations uh, that the angel that came to Joseph and the angel that came to Mary and, and told them that was go- what was going to happen ahead of time. It's a miracle. I think most people, when they think of a miracle and having to do with Christmas, they think, undoubtedly of the virgin birth. Virgins don't give birth. That's a miracle. We could look at the providence of God and how he moved the hand of Caesar Augustus, the, the most powerful man in the world, and to, to, to move Mary and Joseph from Nazareth to Bethlehem because Bethlehem was the place that the Messiah had to be born from. Mary and Joseph, for no other reason, would have ever traveled to Bethlehem. Nevertheless, though Mary is nine months pregnant, they have to go because of God's unseen hand in the hand of providence, because the Messiah had to be born in Bethlehem. I had one of my kids ask me a question the other night about Bethlehem that I've never been asked before. A question that in all all my 40 years on planet Earth, though I've had 40 Christmases and been in church my whole life, I've never heard anyone ask this question before. I don't know why he was thinking about Bethlehem. Maybe we were singing some songs or something, but my six-year-old Asher, he, he came up to me and he said, Daddy? I said, yeah. He said, can you eat Bethlehem? <laughs> no, Asher, Bethlehem, that's a different kind of ham, son. We, we don't eat Bethlehem. Ask them at dinner, they'll explain it to you. You'll get it then. A miracle moving a, a, a woman who is nine months pregnant. The very difficult journey from Nazareth to Bethlehem. Miracles all around Christmas. The the angels that appear to the shepherds outside in the fields of Bethlehem. It's a miracle. You would say, I, I, have you ever wondered why they picked these shepherds? Shepherds, what, what kind of an interesting group that, that they, God singled out to, to go and tell about the birth of the Messiah. This wasn't just any group of shepherds, by the way. This was a very important group of shepherds. In fact, the, the sh- group of shepherds on the hills of Bethlehem were probably the most important shepherds in the whole world because it was the shepherds on the hills of Bethlehem that raised the flock from which the lamb, the Passover lamb, was chosen every single year. Did you know that? These weren't just any shepherds. That year after year, the high priest would journey from Jerusalem to the hills of Bethlehem to select a Passover lamb that would be offered in in sacrifice. That lamb's blood would be spilled, uh, foreshadowing the work that the true Messiah would do when he would come. The shepherds that were there that night had been raising this Passover lamb for generations and and God sent his angels to to these shepherds and, and told them, you've been raising the Passover lamb for year after year after year. Raising a lamb that really can't take away your sin. But tonight, the lamb of God, which takes away the sin of the world, has been born into the earth. The true Messiah is here. Come and see him. And these shepherds were invited to go and to see the Lamb of God. We could look at the star that guides the wise man to find Jesus. We could look at the dream that warned Joseph to escape the wrath of Herod. All of these things foretold by the prophets hundreds of years before Christ. A story just filled with the miraculous, filled with God entering in and intervening in the normal course of human life. That's not the miracle that I'm talking about tonight. There's a miracle that surpasses, that that towers above all of these miracles. And if you will stop for a moment, if, if you will quiet yourself... If you will ponder, if you will put away the distractions. And, and, and Christmas is a season full of distractions. Lots of stuff we got to do, lots of family gatherings, and I, I enjoy that, I love that, I celebrate that. The exchange of gifts, it's a wonderful thing. But if we're, if we're not careful, they can become distractions. They can, they can take our eyes off the, the true meaning of Christmas, the true miracle of Christmas. And if you will stop, if you will ponder on this miracle, it is truly staggering. Of course, the miracle that I'm talking about is the incarnation. The incarnation. This is what the angel told Joseph in the dream in Matthew chapter 1, verse 23. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. The incarnation, God with us. This is the miracle of Christmas. John opens his gospel with with these words, identifying Jesus with the eternal creator, God, saying, in the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. God. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life, and his life is the light of men. John identifies this eternal word, who is God, as Jesus, the Messiah. In verse 14, he says, and the word became flesh. The eternal put on the temporary. The Word became flesh and dwelt among us. He came to us. And we have seen His glory, the glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. This miracle of the incarnation, this miracle of God, Becoming a man in the person of Jesus is not only the greatest miracle of Christmas, it's not only the greatest miracle in the whole Bible, it is the greatest miracle in the history of the world. If you will stop and ponder, if you will think about it, think on this truth that the Creator would stoop so low as to enter into his own creation. God who is holy. God who is high and exalted. God who who exists in in, in exaltation, who is worshipped in heaven 24-7, who is eternal, being confined to the temporary, being confined to the the, Im- the, the immortality putting on mortality. God, who existed in unfathomable glory for all eternity, would leave all of that behind to come here, to come to this place. This dirty, stinking, rotten, Sin infested, broken place. He came from heaven to earth. He came from the perfect and entered into imperfection. Who is this person that would do such a thing? Who would leave heaven to come to earth? What would compel such a person? Think about it. Just ponder on it for a moment. You know, you and I, we we become so, I don't know what the word is, Impatient, We become so frustrated. We sometimes become angry at even the slightest of inconveniences. When things don't go the way we want them to go, just as we had hoped. When I consider how little it takes me to, to become inconvenienced by the slightest detail... Yet Christ, Jesus, leaves heaven to come here. This past week, I, I, Heather and I had a, a friend who came over to the house and they stopped through a drive-thru on, on the way to pick up some bean and cheese tacos. And... This person also ordered a bean and cheese, some bean and cheese tacos, but they also ordered a beef fajita taco. Can I get an amen for some beef fajita? (laughs) Well, as this person was driving from the uh, drive-thru to our house, he couldn't wait to eat his tacos. And so he started eating them. And there was six bean and cheese and one beef fajita. And so he pulls, he puts his hand in there and he pulls out a bean and cheese and so he eats it. He pulls out his next taco. Well, it's his other bean and cheese and so he eats it. And then he, puts, he, puts in, he, he, he dumps out the bag and he's searching for his beef fajita taco and there's no beef fajita taco. They forgot his beef fajita taco, which is like $15 right now because of inflation. And so he's texting me how mad he is, how angry he is, how, you know, just, you know, his whole world is turned upside down. I paid for the taco. I said, I feel your pain. I've, I've, I've been there. I've been there way too many times than I care to admit. In fact, I've gotten so angry at some of the most insignificant things before. There there are times where I've genuinely said, Am I saved? Am I a Christian? (laughs) It should take a lot more than this for me to turn into the devil. Uh, we We become so inconvenienced by the slightest of things. Yet Christ, Jesus, He he leaves perfection, not only perfection, He leaves His place of exalted glory, sitting on a throne as the King of the universe, worshipped and adored. To be born in a barn, to be born in a stable. To, to, to put on human flesh, born, the Bible says, in the likeness of sinful flesh. It's quite staggering when you think about it. We who are inconvenienced, we who become distraught over the, the slightest of of. Things not going our way, Christ leaves it all behind to come to this place. You know, if if we compare ourselves with one another, if we compare ourselves to other people, we we might be tempted at some points to come away thinking that we are we're pretty good people. Well, we're not so bad. We might have some illusions of our own goodness if we compare ourselves to the worst of humanity, if you will. But the moment we look to Christ, the moment we compare ourselves to Him, the moment we behold Jesus for who He truly is, all illusions of our own goodness vanish into thin air. Jesus left the glory of heaven to come to this broken world. When Jesus created the world, it wasn't broken at all. In fact, the pages of Scripture tell us that when God created the world, he declared that it was very good. So how did this world go from being very good to the world that we live in? The broken world, the world of of death, the world of sickness, the world of disease, the world of betrayal. How did this world get broken if God made it very good? We broke it. We broke God's good world through our sin and rebellion against our Creator. God who lovingly formed us who breathed his life and spirit into us, we chose not to obey him and his word, but to follow the serpent, to follow the enemy of God, Satan. And in that moment, we took what God had made very good and we made it very bad. Everything that is wrong in this world today is because of our sin. God made the world very good, and we have made it very bad. Even this virus that has been a plague on humanity for the last two years, from all the evidence we look at today, it appears that it was cooked up in a lab somewhere. We're so so imperfect, we're so sinful. We haven't made things bad enough. We have to cook up super viruses in a lab. This is the depth of the sinful nature of mankind. This virus that has killed six million people. We made it. This virus that has ruined the lives of countless others. By all the evidence today, we made it. Humanity at its core is not basically good. We aren't good people who are in a bad environment. No, God made the perfect world, the perfect environment. We are bad people who destroy whatever environment we are in. We are sinners. All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And it's into this darkness, this darkness of our own making that Christ shines His light. He didn't make the darkness. He didn't break the world. Nevertheless, He gets off of His throne. He adds humanity to His divinity. He comes and humbles Himself. What we have here portrayed in this passage that I read to you in John chapter 13 of Him humbling Himself and washing His disciples' feet, it's indicative of the ministry that He came to accomplish. It's indicative of the humility with which He possessed to be born as a man, to be born in a stable. Not born in a palace, but born in a barn. Not born into a noble family, but born into obscurity. Not born into wealth, but born into poverty. Not born into privilege, but born into oppression. Jesus, who is this Jesus? (laughs) Who is this person? What would compel such a man, such a one, such a being? What would compel them to do, to sacrifice so much? Why did he come? Well, it tells us in our passage, it said, Jesus coming from the Father, knowing he is returning to the Father, having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them To the end. Why did he leave heaven behind and condescend to earth, taking on human flesh? One word, love. Love. It was his love. His love. And keep in mind, friends, it's not because we are so lovable. It is because he is so loving It is because He is so loving. I asked you to open to Romans chapter 5. Flip over there with me quickly. Romans chapter 5, verse 6. It says, while we were still weak, at the right time Christ died for the ungodly. Paul writing, he says, one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person one would dare even to die. But God shows his love for us. And that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Since therefore we have now been justified by his blood Paul says that Christ didn't die for good people. Christ didn't die for the righteous. The Bible says there's no righteous, none, just Christ. He didn't die for the godly. He died for the ungodly. He didn't die for his friends. He died for his enemies. Not only did he leave heaven and come to earth, but he came here to die. He came here to live a life without sin, the life we should have all lived and none of us have lived. To go to the cross, to offer up himself as a sacrifice for his people, to pay the price for his people. There's this idea going around, I've heard many people repeat it, that the cross of Christ, the sacrifice of Christ, the ministry of Christ that the gospel, that, that what it sh- truly shows is how much humanity is worth. That the, the gospel, the, the work of Christ shows how much you are worth as a person, that God would spend so much to redeem you. Friend, that's not what the cross shows us at all. If the cross shows us anything about ourselves, it shows us the depth of our depravity. Because who is it that nailed Jesus to the tree? It was us. Who was it that murdered God's son? It was us. The cross does not show us our worth. It shows us the depths of our sin. It shows us what we deserved. The wrath of God. But what it does show us about him are the heights of his love. The heights of his love that God's love extends even to the unlovable. That Christ came to redeem the irredeemable, to fix the unfixable, to take those who were condemned and to bring them freedom, to bring life to those who are dead. It's the love of Christ It's the love of Christ. This is why the Messiah came. This is the greatest miracle. It's not the virgin birth. It's not the angels. It's not the shepherds. It's not the star. It's not the prophecy. It's the love of God. The love of God. when you truly understand who God is, when you truly see who you are, there's no other response other than to fall at the feet of Christ. The salvation that He came to bring, the light that He came to bring, to shine into the darkness that we had made Because of his love. For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son, that whoever would believe upon him would not perish, but have eternal life to share in the life of God. Verse 8, when He came to wash Peter's feet and Peter said, no, I I, I don't need you to wash my feet. You can't wash my feet. How how in the world could I allow Jesus, the master, my, my teacher, my Lord, how in the world could I allow him to humble himself to wash my feet? But Jesus tells Peter, if I don't wash you, you have no part with me. Friend, hear me on this. Jesus came from heaven to earth to save mankind. Jesus brought his light, the light of heaven, the light of the gospel, the light of God, the light which brings life to a world of darkness and death. But that life is not yours unless he washes you clean. You must be washed clean. This work that Jesus did, humbling himself, taking off his outer garment, laying it aside, just as he laid aside his rights as the divine being, as God, the creator. Him wrapping himself in a towel as he wrapped himself that first Christmas Eve in human flesh. Him taking up the water and washing his disciples' feet foreshadowing the work he would do and shedding his own blood to wash us clean. Friend, if you are not washed in his blood, if if you have not put your faith in Jesus Christ, you have no part in him. You, You do not share in the life that he came to bring. You have not been reconciled to God, and in fact you are dead in your trespasses and sins. Jesus went to the cross to pay the price for your sin. Jesus went to the cross so that you could share in the life that he brings. Jesus went to the cross to redeem you and to reconcile you back to God. All of us will one day pass from this life into the next. Listen, this life is not all that there is. This life is a vapor. It disappears like that. One day we will all pass into this next life. And there are two destinations. There's the destination for those who have had their sins paid for by the blood of Christ, and there is the destination for those who are dead in their trespasses and sins, for those who have rejected the free gospel of Jesus Christ. There's only two places. There's only one way to be reconciled to God. You must receive Jesus Christ as your Savior and your Lord. You must repent of your sin and believe on Him. Jesus died in our place. That's why He came from heaven to earth. The the Christmas story is incomplete if you don't include the cross. Millions of people, billions of people have been born and died. We do not remember their birth every year. We do not mark the day. We do not celebrate their birth. Why do we celebrate the birth of this Jewish man who lived 2,000 years ago? It's not because of the angels. It's not because of the wise men. It's not because of the star. It's not even because of the virgin birth. The reason why we celebrate his birth is because of the salvation that he brought to humanity. The reason we celebrate his birth is because of his cross, which cleanses us of sin and reconciles us to God. The reason we celebrate the manger is really not about the manger at all. It really is about the empty tomb. It really is about the resurrection. It really is about the fact that there, for those who are in Christ, there is a resurrection coming for all of us one day. That is why we celebrate. To just celebrate the shepherds and the, the wise men, and it's oh, and it's so cute, and that's to miss the point entirely. We celebrate the gospel. We celebrate the man, Jesus Christ, the God man. Who left heaven, who lived among us, who dwelt among us and who ascended into the right hand of the Father, and who is returning soon to judge the living and the dead. Jesus Christ, our Lord. That's why I love these songs so much. They all talk about the Lordship of Jesus Christ. Jesus is Lord. Jesus is Lord. Have you submitted your life to the Lordship of Christ? Have you received his free gift of salvation, the gift that we cannot earn, that we do not deserve, but he gives by grace? The Bible says that we receive this gift by faith. What does that mean? It means that we trust in his work, his work of salvation, in his life, his death, his burial and resurrection. We trust in that for our salvation. It means we don't trust in our own selves, in our own good works, which the Bible says is filthy rags. We trust in Christ. We receive this gift. It is a gift. It is a gift. That's why we exchange gifts. That's why we exchange gifts. I don't know why you exchange gifts. But that's why we at the Bell House exchange gifts. Because Jesus offers us salvation as a free gift gift. And every gift that we open, we celebrate the free gift of salvation that we have through Jesus our Lord. Dear friend, don't let this Christmas season pass you by without receiving God's free gift of salvation. Today is the day of salvation, the Bible says. I don't know what brought you in here today. Maybe it was the kids. Maybe that was the bait that we used to hook you in here today. But for whatever reason that you were here today, whatever reason you thought you were here, God brought you here to hear this message. This good news, this gospel message, the only thing that can save your soul, the only thing that will bring you peace is Jesus Christ, our Lord. Do not let this season go by without receiving the free offer of salvation. Call out to Him. Put your faith in Him. You say, you don't know what I've done. You don't know the past that I've lived. You you know what? I don't. It doesn't matter. God does. And He came for a sinner like you. All have sinned. The salvation offer goes out To all. If God is calling your name today, you need to call on His name. Jesus. Jesus, save me. Jesus, you are my Savior. You are my Lord. Everyone, the Bible says, who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. This is why Jesus came, this is why we celebrate. We celebrate the salvation that we have. How many of you share in that salvation? Amen? Amen.